Chapter Three of Home Life in Colonial Days by Alice Morse Earl. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Kitchen Fireside. The kitchen in all the farmhouses of all the colonies was the most cheerful, homelike, and picturesque room in the house indeed it was in town-houses as well the walls were often bare the rafters dingy the windows were small the furniture meagre but the kitchen had a warm glowing heart that spread light and welcome and made the poor room a home in the houses of the first settlers the chimneys and fireplaces were vast in size sometimes so big that the fore logs and back logs for the fire had to be dragged in by a horse and a long chain or a hand sled was kept for the purpose often there were seats within the chimney on either side at night children could sit on these seats and there watch the sparks fly upward and join the stars which could plainly be seen up the great chimney throat but as the forest disappeared under the waste of burning for tar for potash and through wanton clearing the fireplaces shrank in size and benjamin franklin even in his day could write of the fireplaces of our fathers the inflammable catted chimney of logs and clay hurriedly and readily built by the first settlers soon gave place in all houses to vast chimneys of stone built with projecting inner ledges on which rested a bar about six or seven or even eight feet from the floor called a lug-pole lug meaning to carry or a back-bar this was made of green wood and thus charred slowly but it charred surely in the generous flames of the great chimney heart many annoying and some fatal accidents came from the collapsing of these wooden back bars the destruction of a dinner sometimes was attended with the loss of a life later the back bars were made of iron on them were hung iron hooks or chains with hooks of various lengths called pot hooks trammels hakes pot hangers pot claws pot clips pot breaks pot crooks mr arnold talbot of providence rhode island has folding trammels nine feet long which were found in an old narragansett chimney heart gib crooks and recons were local and less frequent names 
and the folks who in their dialect call the lugpold a gallows balk call the pothooks gallows crooks on these hooks pots and kettles could be hung at varying heights over the fire the iron swinging crane was a yankee invention of a century after the first settlement and it proved a convenient and graceful substitute for the back bar some dutch houses had an adaptation of a southern method of housekeeping in the use of a detached house called a slave kitchen where the meals of the negro house and farm servants were cooked and served the slave kitchen of the old bergen homestead stood unaltered till within a few years on third avenue in brooklyn it still exists in a dismantled condition its picture plainly shows the stone ledges within the fireplace the curved iron lug-pole and hanging pot-hooks and trammels with the ample fire of hickory logs burning on the hearthstone and the varied array of primitive cooking-vessels steaming with savory fare a circle of laughing black faces shining with the glowing firelight and hungry anticipation would make a quote, dutch interior of american form and shaping as picturesque and artistic as any of holland the fireplace itself sometimes went by the old english name clavel piece as shown by the letters of john winter written from maine in sixteen thirty four to his english home the chimney is large with an oven at each end of him he is so large that we can place our kettle within the clavel piece we can brew and bake and boil our kettle all at once in him often a large plate of iron called the fireback or fireplate was set at the back of the chimney where the constant and fierce fire crumbled brick and split stone these iron backs were often cast in a handsome design in new york the chimneys and fireplaces were dutch in shape the description given by a woman traveller at the end of the seventeenth century ran thus quote, the chimney-places are very droll-like they have no jams nor lintel as we have but a flat grate and there projects over it a lump in the form of the cat and clay lump and commonly a muslin or ruffled pawn around it Unquote. the ruffled pawn was a calico or linen valance which was hung on the edge of the mantel shelf a pretty and cheerful fashion seen in some english as well as dutch homes another dutch furnishing the alcove bedstead much like a closet seen in many new york kitchens was replaced in new england farm kitchens by the turn-up bedstead 
this was a strong frame filled with a network of rope which was fastened at the bedhead by hinges to the wall by night the foot of the bed rested on two heavy legs by day the frame with its bed furnishings was hooked up to the wall and covered with homespun curtains or doors this was the sleeping place of the master and mistress of the house chosen because the kitchen was the warmest room in the house one of these turn-up bedsteads which was used in the sheldon homestead until this century may be seen in deerfield memorial hall over the fireplace and across the top of the room were long poles on which hung strings of peppers dried apples and rings of dried pumpkin and the favorite resting place for the old queen's arm or fowling piece was on hooks over the kitchen fireplace on the pot hooks and trammels hung what formed in some households the costliest house furnishings the pots and kettles the indians wished their brass kettles buried with them as a precious possession and the settlers equally valued them often these kettles were worth three pounds apiece in many inventories of the estates of the settlers the brassware formed an important item rev thomas hooker of hartford had brassware which in the equalizing of values to-day would be worth three or four hundred dollars the great brass and copper kettles often held fifteen gallons the vast iron pot desired and beloved of every colonist sometimes weighed forty pounds and lasted in daily use for many years all the vegetables were boiled together in these great pots unless some very particular housewife had a wrought-iron potato boiler to hold potatoes or any single vegetable in place within the vast general pot chafing dishes and skimmers of brass and copper were also cheerful discs to reflect the kitchen firelight very little tin was seen either for kitchen or table utensils governor winthrop had a few tin plates and some southern planters had tin pans others tinnen covers tin pails were unknown and the pails they did own either of wood brass or other sheet metal had no bales but were carried by thrusting a stick through little ears on either side of the pail latenware was used instead of tin it was a kind of brass a very good collection of century-old tinware is shown in the illustration by a curious chance this tinware lay unpacked for over ninety years in the attic loft of a country warehouse in the packing box just as it was delivered from an english ship at the close of the revolution 
the pulling down of the warehouse disclosed the box with its dated labels the tin utensils are more gaily lacquered than modern ones otherwise they differ little from the tinware of to-day there was one distinct characteristic in the house furnishing of olden times which is lacking to-day it was a tendency for the main body of everything to set well up on legs which were strong enough for adequate support of the weight yet were slender in appearance to-day bureaus bedsteads cabinets desks sideboards come close to the floor formerly chests of drawers chippendale sideboards four-post bedsteads dressing-cases were set often a foot high in a tidy cleanly fashion thus they could all be thoroughly swept under this same peculiarity of form extended to cooking utensils pots and kettles had legs as shown in those hanging in the slave kitchen fireplace gridirons had legs skillets had legs and further appliances in the shape of trivets which were movable frames took the place of legs the necessity for stilting up of cooking utensils was a very evident one it was necessary to raise the body of the utensil above the ashes and coals of the open fireplace if the bed of coals and burning logs were too deep for the skillet or pot legs then the utensil must be hung from above by the ever-ready trammel often in the corner of the fireplace there stood a group of trivets or three-legged stands of varying heights through which the exactly desired proximity to the coals could be obtained even toasting forks and similar frail utensils of wire or wrought iron stood on tall spindling legs or were carefully shaped to be set up on trivets they usually had also long adjustable handles which helped to make endurable the blazing heat of the great logs all such irons as waffle irons had far longer handles than are seen on any cooking utensils in these days of stoves and ranges where the flames are covered and the housewife shielded gridirons had long handles of wood or iron which could be fastened to the shorter stationary handles the two gridirons in the accompanying illustration are a century old the circular one was the oldest form the oblong ones with groove to collect the gravy did not vary in shape till our own day both have indications of fittings for long handles but the handles have vanished a long-handled frying-pan is seen hanging by the side of the slave kitchen fireplace an accompaniment of the kitchen fireplace found not in farmhouses but among luxury-loving town folk 
was the plate warmer they are seldom named in inventories and i know of but one of revolutionary days and it is here shown similar ones are manufactured today the legs perhaps are shorter but the general outline is the same an important furnishing of every fireplace was the andirons in kitchen fireplaces these were usually of iron and the shape known as gooseneck were common cob irons were the simplest form and merely supported the spit sometimes they had hooks to hold a dripping pan a common name for the kitchen andirons was fire dogs and creepers were low small andirons usually used with the tall fire dogs the kitchen andirons were simply for use to help hold the logs and cooking utensils but other fireplaces had handsome fire dogs of copper brass or cut steel cast or wrought in handsome devices these were a pride and delight to the housewife a primitive method of roasting a joint of meat or a fowl was by suspending it in front of the fire by a strong hempen string tied to a peg in the ceiling while someone usually an unwilling child occasionally turned the roast around sometimes the sole turnspit was the housewife who every time she basted the roast gave the string a good twist and thereafter it would untwist then twist a little again and so on until the vibration ceased when she again basted and started it as the juices sometimes ran down in the roast and left the upper part too dry a double string roaster was invented by which the equilibrium of the joint could be shifted a jack was a convenient and magnified addition of the primitive string being a metal suspensory machine a still further glorification was the addition of a revolving power which ran by clockwork and turned the roast with regularity this was known as a clock jack the one here shown hangs in the fireplace in deerfield memorial hall a smoke jack was run somewhat irregularly by the pressure of smoke and the current of hot air in the chimney these were noisy and creaking and not regarded with favor by old-fashioned cooks we are apt to think of the turnspit dog as a creature of european life but we had them here in america little low bow-legged patient souls trained to run in a revolving cylinder and keep the roasting joint a turn before the fire mine host clark of the state house inn in philadelphia in the first half of the eighteenth century advertised in benjamin franklin's pennsylvania gazette 
that he had for sale several dogs and wheels much preferable to any jacks for roasting any joints of meat i hope neither he nor any one else had many of these little canine slaves a frequent accompaniment of the kitchen fireplace in the eighteenth century and a domestic luxury seen in well-to-do homes was the various forms of the roasting kitchen or dutch oven these succeeded the jacks they were a box-like arrangement open on one side which when in use was turned to the fire like other utensils of the day they often stood up on legs to bring the open side before the blaze a little door at the back could be opened for convenience in basting the roast these kitchens came in various sizes for roasting birds or joints and in them bread was occasionally baked the bake kettle which in some communities was also called a dutch oven was preferred for baking bread it was a strong kettle standing of course on stout stumpy legs and when in use was placed among the hot coals and closely covered with a strong metal convex cover on which coals were also closely heaped such perfect rolls such biscuits such shortcake as issued from the heaped-up baked kettle can never be equaled by other methods of cooking when the great stone chimney was built there was usually placed on one side of the kitchen fireplace a brick oven which had a smoke uptake into the chimney and an ash pit below the great door was of iron this oven was usually heated once a week a great fire of dry wood called oven wood was kindled within it and kept burning fiercely for some hours this thoroughly heated all the bricks the coals and ashes were then swept out the chimney draft closed and the oven filled with brown bread pies pots of beans etc sometimes the bread was baked in pans sometimes it was baked in a great mass set on cabbage leaves or oak leaves in some towns an autumn harvest of oak leaves was gathered by children to use throughout the winter the leaves were strung on sticks this gathering was called going a-leafing by the oven side was always a long-handled shovel known as a peel or slice which sometimes had a rack or rest to hold it this implement was a necessity in order to place the food well within the glowing oven the peel was sprinkled with meal great heaps of dough were placed thereon and by a dexterous twist they were thrown on the cabbage or oak leaves a bread peel was a universal gift to a bride it was significant of domestic utility and plenty and was held to be luck-bearing on thanksgiving week 
the great oven had a fire built in it every morning and every night it was well filled and closed till morning on one side of the kitchen often stood a dresser on which was placed in orderly rows the cheerful pewter and scant earthenware of the household Quote, the room was bright with glimpses of reflected light from plates that on the dresser shone Unquote. in dutch households plate racks spoon racks knife racks all hanging on the wall took the place of the new england dresser in the old phillips farmhouse at wickford rhode island is a splendid chimney over twenty feet square so much room does it occupy that there is no central staircase but little winding stairs ascend at three corners of the house in the vast fireplace an ox could literally have been roasted on each chimney-piece are hooks to hang firearms and at one side curious little drawers are set for pipes and tobacco in some dutch houses in new york these tobacco shelves are in the entry over the front door and a narrow flight of three or four steps lead up to them hanging on a nail alongside the tobacco drawer or shelf would usually be seen a pipe tongs or smoking tongs they were slender little tongs usually of iron or steel with them the smoker lifted a coal from the fireplace to light his pipe the tongs owned and used by captain joshua wingate of hampton new hampshire who lived from sixteen seventy nine to seventeen sixty nine are here shown the handle is unlike any other i have seen having one end elongated knobbed and ingeniously bent s-shaped into convenient form to press down the tobacco into the bowl of the pipe other old-time pipe tongs were in the form of lazy tongs a companion of the pipe tongs on the kitchen mantel was what was known as a comfortier a little brazier of metal in which small coals could be handed about for pipe lighting an unusual luxury was a comfortier of silver these were found among the dutch settlers the pennsylvania germans were the first to use stoves these were of various shapes a curious one seen in houses and churches was of sheet metal box shape three sides were within the house and the fourth with the stove door outside the house thus what was really the back of the stove projected into the room and when the fire was fed it was necessary for the tender to go out of doors these german stoves and hot air drums which heated the second story of the house 
were ever a fresh wonder to travellers of english birth and descent in pennsylvania there is no doubt that their evident economy and comfort suggested to benjamin franklin the new pennsylvania fireplace which he invented in seventeen forty two in which both wood and coal could be used and which was somewhat like the heating apparatus which we now call a franklin stove or heater thus german settlers had in respect to heating the most comfortable homes of all the colonies among the english settlers the kitchen was too often the only comfortable room in the house in winter weather indeed the discomforts and inconveniences of a colonial home could scarcely be endured to-day of course these culminated in winter-time when icy blasts blew fiercely down the great chimneys and rattled the loosely fitting windows children suffered bitterly in these cold houses the rooms were not warm three feet away from the blaze of the fire cotton mather and judge samuel sewell both tell in their diaries of the ink freezing in their pens as they wrote within the chimney-side one noted that when a great fire was built on the hearth the sap forced out of the wood by the flames froze into ice at the end of the logs the bedrooms were seldom warmed and had it not been for the deep feather beds and heavy bed curtains would have been unendurable in dutch and some german houses with alcove bedsteads and sleeping on one feather bed with another for cover the dutch settlers could be far warmer than any english settlers even in four-posted bedsteads curtained with woollen water froze immediately if left standing in bedrooms one diary written in marshville massachusetts tells of a basin of water standing on the bedroom hearth in front of a blazing fire in which the water froze solid president john adams so dreaded the bleak new england winter and the ill-warm houses that he longed to sleep like a dormouse every year from autumn to spring in the southern colonies during the fewer cold days of the winter months the temperature was not so low but the houses were more open and lightly built than in the north and were without cellars and had fewer fireplaces hence the discomfort from the cold was as great if not the positive suffering the first chilling entrance into the ice-cold bed of a winter bedroom was sometimes mitigated by heating the inner sheets with a warming-pan this usually hung by the side of the kitchen fireplace and when used was filled with hot coals and thrust within the bed 
and constantly and rapidly moved back and forth to keep from scorching the bed linen the warming pan was a circular metal pan about a foot in diameter four or five inches deep with a long wooden handle and a perforated metal cover usually of copper or brass which was kept highly polished and formed as it hung on the wall one of the cheerful kitchen discs to reflect the light of the glowing fire the warming pan has been deemed of sufficient decorative capacity to make it eagerly sought after by collectors and a great room of one of these collectors is hung entirely around the four walls with a frieze of warming pans many of our new england poets have given us glimpses in rhyme of the old-time kitchen lowell's well-known lines are vivid enough to bear never-dying quotation a fireplace filled the rooms one side with half a cord of wood in there weren't no stoves tell comfort died to bake ye to a puddin the walnut logs shot sparkles out toward the pootiest bless her and little flames danced all about the chinny on the dresser again the crumbly crook necks hung and in amongst them rusted the old queen's arm that granther young fetched back from concord busted to me the true essence of the old-time fireside is found in whittier's snowbound the very chimney fireplace and hearthstone of which his beautiful lines were written the kitchen of whittier's boyhood home at east haverville massachusetts is shown in the accompanying illustration it shows a swinging crane his description of the laying the fire can never be equalled by any prose we piled with care our nightly stack of wood against the chimney back the oaken log green huge and thick and on its top the stout back stick the naughty forestick laid apart and filled between with curious art the ragged brush then hovering near we watched the first red blaze appear heard the sharp crackle caught the gleam on whitewashed wall and sagging beam until the old rude furnished room burst flower-like into rosy bloom no greater picture of homely contentment could be shown than the following lines shut in from all the world without we sat the clean-winged hearth about content to let the north wind roar in baffled rage at pane and door while the red logs before us beat the frost line back with tropic heat and ever when a louder blast shook beam and rafter as it passed the merrier up its roaring draught the gray throat of the chimney laughed the house-dog on his paws outspread 
lay to the fire his drowsy head the cat's dark silhouette on the wall a couchant tiger seemed to fall and for the winter fireside meet between the andires straddling feet the mug of cider simmered slow and apples sputtered in a row and close at hand the basket stood with nuts from brown october's woods what matters how the night behaved what mattered how the north wind raved blow high blow low not all its snow could quench our hearts fire's ruddy glow nor can the passing years dim the ruddy glow of that hearth-fire nor the charm of the poem the simplicity of the meter the purity of wording the gentle sadness of some of its expressions make us read between the lines a deep and affectionate reminiscence with which it was written End of chapter three